0: everybody, welcome in, this is episode 3 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast and my name is Andrew Drozdak and I'm here with Langston Moore, former USC defensive lineman to talk a little football, how you doing buddy?
1: I'm doing good, man. You know, just always, you know, it's my, my favorite worst part of the year. You're supposed to be working on your, your resolutions, but it's also like good football time. So, you know, all the eating goes out the window, right?
0: <laughs> I hear you, man. Absolutely. that Especially when Super Bowl weekend hits, man, all that stuff goes away.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> wow. Right around the time you should be getting it together but then there's leftovers and stuff man and then you know then there's replay and so you know yeah. you can just keep going all year if you want
0: to absolutely man all right so i appreciate you being here so one of the things i always start off with um tell me a little bit about your high school playing experience you're from down near muck's corner right
1: yeah yes yeah, so a little bit uh a little bit keep going down uh you cross that last bridge before you get to uh folly beach and i, I grew up and played at james island high school so it was a uh, Myself, uh, Cedric Williams, he played there. Then this guy, Roddy White, messed around, went to another school down in Alabama. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on with him. Um, we didn't. You know, that's no fault of anybody else. It's just Roddy was more of a wrestler. He came on a little bit later. And then, uh, of course, um, I played with uh, the famous Cox younger brother. I played with uh, Hank Campbell, who is also the, the younger brother of the big... Big, no, I played with John Campbell and his yeah. big brother Hank was, of course, the the star who made the tackle against Tennessee. You know all those years yeah, ago. Yeah, and all definitely. This stuff.
0: All right. So when you were in high school, um, were you strictly defensive line? Were you OL? Did you play a little tight end? Yeah. Everything,
1: man, everything. So I mean, nah. I, I wish tight end said was the tight end. They let him be like the the the, the stand up rusher and tight end. But then you know eventually he played offensive line. And for me, I played pretty much O line and D line until um coach sharpie came in and coach sharpie the younger son of of the son who is um is actually the the head football coach and athletic director over there at brooklyn casey right now Mm -hmm. and so he had a bunch of experience and being a coach in college and he was a clemson guy and he just kind of fresh out the ranks he was like man look let's try to use Lynch, not just on the offensive line, but let's play some fullback, play some different H-back. So basically just telling me I was just going to be, like, the sixth offensive lineman, but it sounded good to me, and they let me change my number, and um, we ran a bunch of power and lead, and uh, they threw me a ball one time, and I scored a touchdown. I had, like, a 15-yard run on, like, a two-yard actual play. Like, the ball was at the two-yard line, so I ran, like, laterally like, 10, 15 yards just to (laughs) kind of show how fast I was, but... All in all, that, that was kind of the thing that helped me just uh, become more attractable because I was never going to be an a, a offensive player in college. But uh, it just showed just kind of the athleticism. And as soon as that started happening, man, my senior year, I mean, I had some offers um, going into my senior year. I went to a bunch of camps. God, God, God blessed my parents for having the money to, to pay for me to go down there and do that, and that actually got me some exposure. I went to a Georgia Tech camp, um, Georgia O'Leary, and at the time, the defensive line coach was a guy named, by the name of Lance Thompson who was down there. And he was recruiting a bunch of guys who looked way better than me. <laughs> and uh, Lance didn't even look in my damn direction, rightfully so. He knew talent when he saw it, or uh, the lack of talent. And then I had a chance to go and, and, and go to summer camp up there at Carolina with Brad. And all those guys were there and there. And that's how I actually got connected with Coach Long. Coach Long was just you know, phenomenal. And after about the first quarter of practice coach long was like man you don't you know you're not rotating you're just gonna stay over here with me and that was kind of like his way of like recruiting me the whole time um mm-hmm. because uh, cedric was already at school at carolina at that time and then there was kind of you know i thought i thought they knew who i was i thought you know in your mind your legend's a little bit bigger and then um and just kind of from there south carolina offered me um and then of course that season happened and they <laughs> they didn't win any games uh, they won one game let's not disrespect them they won one right. game and then um Shoot, had a, I had a chance to, to get recruited by a whole bunch of other people. So that's when, like, the Florida States came along, um, the Virginia Techs came along, the North Carolina States. But it's funny because, I mean, all of that was because of relationships. Yeah, I was, I was good. I was solid. Um, you know, I was ranked in the state and all that stuff, Shrine Bowl and all those different things. But the only reason I got to Florida State, it was because of, uh, the relationship um, Coach Sharpie had with um, with Mickey Andrews and all those folks down there as a defensive coordinator, so having those South Carolina ties if you go back really deep. Uh, same thing with Virginia Tech. Ricky Bussell is a Somerville guy, was the offensive coordinator. He's the guy who got that number seven Michael Vick guy to finally figure out what to do at quarterback. Um, and so that's how I made those connections with Coach Beamer and all those things, and you know, it was one of those deals. It was, you know, they they got me into the door. I was the one that had to walk through it, and um, luckily it worked out. And you know, figured out I was going to go to South Carolina a little bit after all of that.
0: I hear you. I hear you. So when you get to Columbia, um, tell me a little bit. I've asked everybody about this. What was the difference in complexity, maybe, of the football y'all were playing at Carolina compared to what you did at a high school level? You know, was it more detailed? Was it more complex? Or was it just a higher level of competition?
1: Uh, All of the above. I mean, I always say, man, the first things coach holds and them cats taught me was how to like win a football game i just always thought man you score more points you just dominate you just run the football like nah like there's really a method to the madness field position and you know all the little details matter and so i mean that's the thing about high school football and, and high school programs and that's how you can kind of see where like if you get a good culture and you can kind of cultivate and do some things where like everybody's running the same thing and the execution is on point point you know, you can get away with not having a lot of talent and size. Well, I saw at James Island, we did have some talent. We had a good a good bit of talent. We actually had, you know, at one time, two Division One guys on there and, like, probably another four or five guys that went on to play at Newberry Presbyterian. Oh, by the way, Tony Elliott was on our team at that time. Uh, he went to, He went to Air Force, and again, he was going to make his way with academics, and it wasn't going to be football. So, but all of that came back in, and and so that was the biggest thing when I first got to Carolina is that it all there's there, it all matters, you know, how you train, how you do all the little things. And, and when you're a kid, you just think, man, I'm faster, so therefore I'm better than you. It just depends on how much faster I am compared to everybody else across the country. Maybe I'm top 15, top 10. But nah, that just shows you, like, you know, talent is not everything, but it does matter. And, and systems and culture and how you do a lot of those things. And that's what, like, the Iowas and... All those things come to mind, and, and that's why it's no surprise to me that Coach Holtz is who he was, is the, you know, known as a turnaround artist. Him doing it at, you know, Minnesota, Arkansas, of course, South Carolina. I mean, William & Mary always taking teams to bowl games in their second years because he understood that, you know, if you do certain things the right way and you play with a lot of effort and you play with a, you're not even talking about talent yet. So then if you mess around, you can get some talent in there. Um, you're gonna give yourself a chance, and so that was the big thing for me. Is that I actually learned what it takes to fo- win football games. I used to, I used to always just like tease my dudes when I went into the NFL because I always say I played for the worst teams in the NFL: Cincinnati, Arizona, Detroit. I mean, there's like there're 32 teams. They're probably like 30, 31, and 32. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, none of them trying to go into no Super Bowl, especially while I was there. But the same things I used to see. You know, Coach Hole is very infamous for being. His, saying his deal, the plan works. And there is a football plan, and it's toughness, it's all these, I can, I can just go down a line, because that's all we ever did. And as long as you follow the plan and check it all off, you're going to win every game. It doesn't matter if it's Alabama, doesn't matter if it's Notre Dame, doesn't matter if it's whoever. And when I used to do that in the NFL, and guys used to be like, man, what the hell are you talking about? Because I'd just be over there on myself, like the plan. We weren't, okay, they beat us on special teams, they beat us on turnovers, okay. Okay, yeah, we were a tough team, we had a lot of talent, we had you know, Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald, but, you know, we got two punts blocked. So, you know, all of those things matter, and and, and that's when I, I just see that just how much of, like, that success formula for football is really, really important, and that's what probably the biggest thing I learned my first couple of years at Carolina.
0: Right, so 99 is your freshman year, obviously famously a tough year for the Gamecocks, 0-11. Uh, <laughs> And so you talked a lot about that culture, that plan. So, you know, I've heard other guys who were on those teams describe how that that off season, going into the 2000 season was really a huge turning point. The team started to gel and maybe started to understand that culture, the football plan. Is that how you see it happening or remember it happening?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it was a combination of also getting our asses beat all the time. Excuse me if we can't curse on that, but getting our teeth kicked in every week. And again, you know, it wasn't for sure the motivation. I mean, we were motivated, but I mean, the combination of injuries and, and a whole bunch of stuff the freshman year. So that just really made, and especially our class, I think that first class of guys were really like staunch. on like, man, I remember me and CJ, of course, Brewer was there. Uh, we all live kind of in Bates West, so like our, our sect of freshmen were all there before we could move into the quad uh, in the spring semester. So we we kind of were a little bit separated from the old regime and those old players and kind of some of that old culture. And, and we all were just like, man, we just not we just don't want to be here no more. When I say be here, like we don't want to be around here during Christmas. We want to be like either getting ready for the bowl game or, you know, getting ready to come back, you know, so. That was the biggest thing. And it also, for me personally, I, like that's the year Florida State and, and Virginia Tech played in the national championship. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I could have been, this is what, you know, I could have been somewhere doing something. <laughs> and, and here I am in Base West eating $5 pizza, you know, with, you know, splitting amongst me and Andrew Pinnock and Shane Hall and some dudes like that. So I think that was the thing a combination of just tired of being sick and tired, you know, having. You know, having something within us that, A, hey, we wanted to be different, I think that goes back to the guys that they wanted to recruit, um, who, you know, about that whole deal about caring what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, uh, the, the, just the trial by fire that, you know, we had to go through the winter workouts. That was my first kind of winter workouts. In essence, it was everybody else's kind of kind of first winter workouts because, you know, Lou Holtz got there early enough where the old guys were just beaten to the ground their first kind of spring before we went on 11 but, you know, that first off season after we went 0-11, I think that's just when everybody, it, it just got ratcheted up. And it all just kind of came together in a beautiful mess to, for us to say, OK, this is what we want to do now. We're going to try to change it this way.
0: Right. And, I mean, I think that just gets down to how you face adversity. You know, obviously that was an a very difficult situation you can either run away from it or you can say you know what this is never going to happen again we're not going to let this do to us anymore and it sounds like you guys were like nah we're never doing this again we're never doing this again
1: yeah the only way through it is 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 the only way to it is through it and so you know if you want to win you got to go through the sorry you got to go through the suck and so we obviously went through the sorry and then so then we had the plan. So okay, if we do these things, and again, these things on this list, this plan, the plan is infallible. It always works. It has nothing to do with talent. It's all about execution and doing your job. So that remo- removes the excuses that okay, man, we're not, we don't have this guy, or we don't have this guy, or you know, this dude is hurt, or we thought this was going to happen. Now we're going to be doing this. Um, you know, that really was just really. Burned into our brains, and I think we all kind of came together. And then you you put it on the backs of these three these three things that I'm sure all of us got any guy any guy from that area that you interview they always say these three things: trust, care, and commitment. So you know if we can't trust you, if you don't care, and if you're not committed, um, you know that's that that's kind of like weeded everybody out. And it was just funny just to hear. I mean, just how many times would guys would just echo those same things? And now as a parent, it just always shows you that. You know, kids, kids, were, I mean, they're listening, but they're always doing what you they're always listening, listening to what you do, not what you say. And it's funny because we'd always be we start picking up the loophole. Of course, we're going to tease him behind his back. But like his number one thing is, who are we kidding? And like, I mean, there'll be times where guys will be, oh, you're not going to class, man. Who are we kid? Oh, oh, you, oh, you don't. Oh, you're going to be late. Oh, who? And, and so we start. That's when you start seeing self-correction. That's when you start seeing kind of the guys. Fixing the problems before a coach has to fix them, and that's when you know you're on your way. You know, you know, as a as an educator, when mm-hmm. you know when when you hear all your 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 teachers and your and your and your staff echoing the same things in the same tone and the same tenor, you know y'all gonna be all right. But you know, it's the ones who are still trying to figure out how to do it on their own that's when you know eh, they might not be able to either be a part of this deal. And we had a real cohesive group of guys that were just all bought in. That doesn't mean we all liked it but we all benefited from it. And I think that is, again, kind of the method of the madness, you know, how Coach Holtz set himself up to be, you know, the, you know Palpatine and the Star Wars. We all kind of, like, hated him, you know, but you can't do nothing to him. But then there's Charlie Strong and then there's Skip Holtz and then there's a bevy of just older guys who have been around the block, the Dave Roberts, the, you know, so those were the guys that be like, you know, Coach is kind of right, but, you know, and, and it was just that perfect mix of, I hate this dude, but he's right for me. But like, it was it 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 was, it was genius, and that's why I always say was the gift of Coach Holtz was not that he was able to call the right plays, but that he could just figure that stuff out.
0: Well, and he was at that different level, that old school mentality—if all of you guys are mad at me, you're focused. And, you know, like if I'm if I'm the empire of, of uh, the dark side, then, man, it's focused. We got We got to show Coach Holtz. And he just he played that perfectly. And, you know, there's old school coaches who can do that. And, you know, I think at times, obviously, I've never been around it. But Nick Saban, I feel like can be a guy who can be like a taskmaster and go, y'all might hate me, but y'all are all focused on one thing together.
1: One hundred percent. Him, the, the Sean Paytons of the world, the Jim Trestles of the world. The, uh, the 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 fronts out there in Iowa's of the world. I, I think there is that. Um, now, now I will, will say, you know, the ones who adjust with the times uh, are the ones that can continue, and I think Nick has done a phenomenal, phenomenal job of doing that. You know, not just football philosophies, keeping the core tenets of stuff, the process, and different things, but you know, at one point you're going to tell me Nick Saban's like, man, we're going to run a five-spread, you know, offense. Like, hell no, he's not there. But he he knew this is the way the game is going. RPO is the same way with Bill Belichick. Now, again, Bill may be too really staunch and, you know, just no fun, just kind of that real, you know, methodical kind of deal. But then he can always lean on, you know, this is the NFL. You know, you're either going to be a pro or you can go, go somewhere else. It's really tough in college. And that's where you kind of see the balance of guys, you know, balance trying to be liked but also trying to figure those things out. I think Matt Brown is doing a really good job of doing stuff like that. And that's where I also say, you know, that's kind of the deal with Coach Holtz where, you know, that that type of deal wore off after about year three or four. And so there's stories out there about, you know, what was happening with transition. And you kind of see that with Coach Holtz where he was at other places where, um, you know, around year three or year four, he was he was getting out of there and going to a bigger and better job. But at that point with South Carolina, I think he just wanted to get us to a point and and try to make that transition. Of course, you know, his wife overcoming at the time with with cancer Mm -hmm, for the second mm -hmm. time and all those different things. So, rightfully so, I think he had had done enough. But, yeah, man, I think the ones who are able to be who they are, be authentic, um, you know, not saying you got to dance, but if you feel like dancing, you got to dance, you know. But if you feel, I mean, and that's the biggest thing authenticity, and you know it better than anybody. Kids can smell a fake. You might be able to get them on a weekend. You might be able to get them on, a, on opening day, but after a while, you know, they're going to smell the, the BS. They're going to smell the mm-hmm. fake, the inauth, inauthentic guy. And that's where I think you just got to be who you are.
0: Right. And that and th- on th- on tis- on th- authenticity is a great point. Like I can remember as a young coach, you know, I was coaching O.L., helping out with that, and I felt like, oh, man, I got to be this tough guy. I got to come at people, you know, but that's just not who I am. And I realized, <clears throat> you know what, I'm the good cop. You know, that's, and, and and once the players realized, I realized that, all of a sudden I was getting listened to a whole lot more. Because you're right, they could pick up, this guy's trying to be somebody he's not. And that's true as a teacher and in education. As a leader, you know, man, you got to be you. And if you're not, it doesn't matter if you're children or corporate adults, they're going to see through it.
1: 100%. And that's why I think the, you know, that's why you asked your question. How's a guy like Adam Gase? going to get a job. He never played college football. He was, I mean, so and and if you read some of his articles, and and I I was with Adam, you know, he's been a guy who's a really smart dude, understand X and O, also has the vision to call those plays, because that's another thing. That's one thing to be on Madden and say, man, I can call these plays, but can you call him in this situation on the field level this guy hurt and and he can really do that but he made a point to say like he realized early on in his coaching career especially if you want to be in the NFL he couldn't come at guys and be like oh i know how to do it right because somebody uh, one, they can go and Google and be like, nah, you you, you never played. <laughs> and two, um, you know, they, they can figure that stuff out by just looking at how you walk. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, fishermen recognize fishermen, you know what mm-hmm, I'm saying? Yeah, like sure. educators recognize educators. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and that and that's the thing. The more you can kind of just say, okay, man, guys, I don't know. I don't know. I've never played this, but I can tell you if you put your head on this side of the guy, run your feet this way and your hips this way and you do what I tell you to do, you'll be successful, and you can take all this God-giving, and it's the same way with the teacher and with the educator, man, mm-hmm. and that's why the best teachers are always the best coaches and vice versa. I always say that, Rod Marinelli, I mean, any of those any of those coaches, if you really dig into that, and that's the same way with business, the folks who have you know, some time in the classroom and got that trial by fire and had to deal with all that stuff, mm-hmm. they're usually really great leaders of men, they're usually great leaders of people, they're usually great, um, I mean, teachers educators coaches they just go hand in hand together it's 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 phenomenal how, how that always works
0: I, yeah absolutely so switch gears real quick with me to x's and o's you talked about coach strong playing for him y'all were in the 335 for anybody who doesn't know what that means we got three down linemen three linebackers and five defensive backs or four with a hybrid rover Uh, type player y'all called it the spur that was relatively new when you guys were doing it what was it like learning that system was it way different than anything you'd ever done before
1: well again it was it was for me they didn't have to unteach me too much now I just knew a lot And I mean my favorite players were always John Randall Warren Sapp so I just knew man get off the ball blow up the field um, create havoc And, you know, a good guy behind you is going to clean up whatever you didn't clean it, whatever you didn't hit. So, um, you know, that was easy kind of for me to unlearn. So my deal was, you know, the zero technique. And usually with that, you got to square up and play both sides of the center, which is both sides of the A-gap. Preferably, um, a lot of teams in that scheme want you to play kind of the weak side, the back side, press everything forward, and let your linebackers and different guys set the edges. But there's also the defensive ends. Um, where they're kind of playing like a head-up head up kind of what they call like a four-eye technique. Mm-hmm. So you're basically head-up on the tackle, depending upon if there's a tight end, different things you can shade to the outside just for gap integrity. But now you're seeing a lot of folks do, on one side, you give them kind of a three-look where you have like a center, where you have the, the nose tackle, and the zero, and the and the, and the guy to the, to the weak side, um, maybe in like a shaded tilt kind of different deal. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. The biggest thing is – the ability to just kind of manipulate and play different coverages. So you're asking the defensive lineman to kind of do, you know, two or three jobs. and You're asking the linebackers to do kind of two or three jobs. And then you try to make up for all those spreads and different packages with the nickels and in the, in the, in the defensive back packages we have. So, I mean, for me, learning the technique was kind of, it was, it was kind of easy because, I mean, you know, everybody was learning for the first part, so there wasn't too many guys who were like, man, he's just got to really figure it out. Cleveland Pinckney was still a guy who was in front of me, but he was still kind of the same way. He wanted to get up the field, be a penetrating kind of type of dude the same way I was. So it was always, you know, good to see that, you know, there's an opportunity for me to learn this technique, figure it out, get really good with it, and then I can add some of my... Uh, my uh, my natural talent and different things for that. So, you know, being a smaller, sort of squatty guy really helped out, and that's, you know, me to a teeth, man. You know, not tall enough, but not too short, but, like, I don't know, man. You, you look kind of taller in person. You look kind of bigger in person. So, and that was kind of beneficial. And, um, you know, and then had a host of great guys, you know, Preston Thorne, Sean Smith, um, I mean, just on and on. Cecil Caldwell, a bunch of different dudes who were just – We all just bought into it, and that's probably the biggest thing, man. We put some of our personal stuff to the side, what we wanted to do, in an effort to be a part of a team that was pretty good.
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So sounds like you're telling me, you know, very much in like a traditional three-four, the three-man front. They're they're holding down that OL to let those linebackers clean up and those DBs clean up, and you guys are two gapping it basically, and reading, reacting, not so much shooting gaps and getting up the field.
1: Right, right. So that was pretty much our, our base defense, which was, was Jack's three, which means basically everybody is just playing, you know, the nose is playing zero, head up, you know, favoring the backside of the, of the A gap. And then you got the two defensive ends and everybody is playing a cover three behind us with the run sits and all those different things. So you can do some different things by showing certain looks to the kind of dictate. And that's another beautiful thing about that defense is that, you can kind of scare a lot of people with uh, different blitz packages. Like, you know, and Jackie Sherrill's made really famous. He, he was one of the first guys I remember, you know, watching before I got to college with Mississippi State where they'd just do a lot of that with Fred Smooth. they get a lockdown corner, which we ended up having. We ended up having two of them with Sheldon Brown and Andre Goodman. And then there was another guy by Dante, Dante Robinson, who got to be a guy who came in there and played nickel and got the Rome. But, But also, I mean, the thing about that is, if you're a defensive back, you got to tackle, and you got to come in there, and and we all know all those guys weren't afraid to come in there and tackle and and lay the wood on you. And then you got somebody like a, a Rashad Faison, who was just the tackling machine of, I mean, just a dude who just always made all the plays all the time. I mean, you got kind of the perfect mix to run that perfect hybrid type of defense, which was not really known and not really, you know, famous. And, you know, that's when we saw our second year when Quincy Carter threw us all those beautiful picks. And my roommate, Dennis Quinn, was able to get all those picks, man. It was, uh, you know, they just hadn't seen those things before. So just doing simple stuff a lot of times was able to, you know, disguise and different pre-snap things can really just fool people. And we just ended up just playing hard and and doing not a lot of blitzing a lot of times.
0: Yeah, you know, and that defensive group you just mentioned, I don't feel like they also get enough credit for how talented they were. You know, a lot of times people center in on, and rightfully so, Jadavian Clowney and Melvin Ingram and those guys who are great players, and I don't mean they weren't, but you just named some DBs, Sheldon Brown, Andre Goodman, Robinson. Those guys all played in the pros and played for a long time. I mean, I'm an Eagles fan. I watched Sheldon Brown play for a good while, make one of the hardest tackles, Anybody can remember it was on Sports Illustrated's front page against Reggie, Brown, uh, Reggie Bush.
1: And uh, yeah, and and the Saints down there during the playoffs. That's like I right. mean, he set the tone for that game. Uh, and we just had the other thing is we had a wealth of talent. I mean, it's crazy to think that Dante Robinson was a top ten defensive back pick. Right. And we had him in there. I mean, Dave Roberts. I mean, God bless. I mean, he made him tough. And like every day. The linebackers and the defensive backs had to go do inside drill. And, I mean, if you know anything about DBs, they're not doing any of that type of stuff. And every day, that's what they had to do. Uh, Switching guys like Jonathan Martin, who was an extremely, I mean, was the man at running back, and having him come in to, you know, do a whole bunch. Jamie, Jamie Scott, same way. I mean, just their ability to find those dudes, find those dudes who wanted to come out there and play and contribute to the team, but also, I mean, Antoine Neesmith, I remember down there in Walterboro, he used to kill us. And, I mean, we couldn't even let him touch the football when he played at Carolina. But he was a phenomenal defensive back. He was that spur-hybrid type of deal. And those dudes ended up all getting NFL shots, you know, getting opportunities just because they were just great football players with a whole bunch of talent. And, um, I mean, it goes on and on from Corey Corey Peoples to, I mean, DeAndre Allen, freshman All-American. I mean, he was a track dude. But for them to understand, it's like, man, we can get this athletic, all-American track hurdler to come out here and play safety. And oh, by the way, he's from Mississippi. He got he got something to him. So, I mean, we was extremely, extremely talented. We just didn't know how good we were at times. I mean, Kalimba Edwards just yes. sitting out there hanging on the on the periphery playing. He doesn't know if he's going to be a defensive end or a linebacker. And I mean, he's six five six. It's it's wild, man. It, it was wild, but again i think that was kind of the, the the perfect mix for us to man we got something but we're not that good but maybe we are but i know if we all stick together we all can you know we all can do something together and that's kind of the sentiment of that defense and, and it shows because we we're top 20 top 15 defense all those years even the year we went on 11 where we i think we we're a top 20 defense
0: yeah, absolutely So, real quick, I think you guys would have been on the same teams Because i got to ask you about one of my favorite nicknames of all time Shannon Wadley was on those defense The body, right? bag, the man, body already, bag, man The body bag
1: The body bag
0: So, first of all, that's one of my good buddies David Bowen's favorite Gamecock And just loves that nickname Shout out to Dr. David Bowen But how do you get the nickname, the body bag? Because it sounds like you've got to be a hitter <laughs>
1: Uh, back when they used to let a lot of, uh, I guess they call those helmet to helmet. Now we just call them clean wrap up, square up tackles. Yep. Uh, knock them back tackles, as we like to call them. You know, now I always say, man, we don't see no knock them back when you hit somebody. And mm-hmm. now I just feel like the old guy. And the only thing I'm not talking about is like the flipper in the forearm now. But <laughs> I mean, that's that's what he was, man. Top Shannon Wiley was a guy who just played with that leverage, played with. You know that natural knee bend, and it's a, it's something you probably don't hear a lot. But knee benders are jawbreakers, and yeah. a lot of guys now wanna wanna grab guys around the waist and bend at the waist. But Top just always played with that constant knee bend, and at any moment it was just like a like a mouse trap or like a snake, man. But with a whole bunch of force behind it, and it just puts you on your back and. You know, famously, I think that was the Mississippi State game. Yeah. Was that, I'm trying to think, was that Mississippi State game the same game that Eric Henry actually threw the fade test? Was Was that the same game, or was that maybe the year before? I don't know. Possibly. It could be. i got to go back and check. But, I mean, there's a YouTube clip out there where yep. he, I
0: mean. I think those were two yeah. different years, if I remember right. But, yeah, I know what you're, I remember the hit for sure. Because uh, no, they were both just,
1: kind of day games. I know right. they were both Mississippi State. Um and I know we didn't play Mississippi State back. I, I don't know. We might have, but I gotta go look. That might be some maybe it was the same right there, game. But, it's
0: hard to remember. But
1: top Shannon Wiley just laid. I mean, laid yeah. this dude out. And I mean, same dude. I mean, not a guy who's going to talk. But man, you better be. You better figure out what forty one is on your team. And and the guy next to him, forty four, Kenny Harney, who uh, yeah. again, uh, just a, a guy who just <laughs> basically a uh, LeVar Kirkland, but maybe. 20 pounds less, right. you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Um, just a guy who would just, those guys would just dump you, man. and that's the other thing you need in that type of defense. You can't have, you got to have a tackler, you got to have those linebackers who can go sideline to sideline, but they also got to have the ability to get internal pressure. They got to be able to cover, uh, and, and so you're just asking a lot of those dudes, and I just remember, you know, Coach cost was already losing his hair, God bless him, but, you know, <laughs> always just all the nuance and all that stuff, you know, you couldn't just be a one-trick pony in that defense, and and, and those guys were definitely very, very well talented, man, for sure.
0: Yeah, and you were talking about uh, all of that. I mean, the the amount of things you got to be able to do, you got to have the size get through the line on a blitz, but you also got to be agile enough and be able to get back in your backpedal and get wide and go cover, and and that's hard to do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that, to be that big and move like that almost isn't fair. And some of those guys were really, really good at it.
1: Absolutely, man. And, and um, I mean, it's you know, I, I wish all those dudes would have went on and had 10 year careers. But I mean, they're all doing phenomenal things now. I think uh, Shannon's working with the uh, with a CSX or possibly with uh, another uh, transportation company. And, and Kenny, of course, is in law enforcement. And, and so Man, just um, just great dudes and guys who just with, you know, great teammates and just fun to be. I mean, Andre Offering is another guy I'm thinking of. Who, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll never forget all the stuff Andre Offering had to do and how all the injuries he had to play with, and you know, all of us and just enjoying that time together at that first bowl game. I mean, that was those are things I'll never forget. And now, you know, he's over there still continuing that transition uh, tra- tradition over there, at Dutch Fork, with all of those state championships That's and right. coaching those
0: guys up. So. Remind me. I know you guys did the pod about the um, the fight against Clemson. You were on that team, right?
1: I was. I, I just got into the NFL, okay. so I got drafted in the 03, and that was my second year in the NFL. So, which was crazy because um, my defensive line coach at Cincinnati at the time was a guy named Jay Hayes, and uh, his brother Jonathan Hayes is the real fam- is the real famous one. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs, um, XFL head coach, a bunch of different things, but Jay. Uh, was at Notre Dame. He knew Coach Strong and obviously Lou Holtz, and we'd always kind of had sidebar conversations about, man, what's going on? And I remember that fight going on, and of course, the night before was the Pistons mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the Pacers, and so that was already kind of in everybody's mind, and we were at the hotel the next day, and they were just playing the Clemson fight, and Jay was just like, man, what the hell is those South Carolina dudes doing? I'm just like, oh, man, you know, just, but I had no idea what was going on, and then I you know, get the calls from everybody a little bit later yeah. on. Preston and everybody like, yo, it, it went down. Da, 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 da. And so, you know, we uh, we were fortunate enough to create that podcast and put those stories because there were so many storylines tied into that. And um, you know, not being there, it was cool to kind of relive that with those guys who were there.
0: Yeah, so I was—I think I've told you this before—I was in the stands that day. Uh, it's actually the last time I've gone to a Carolina Clemson game in Death Valley live. Um, but you know that when the fight broke out. Ended up in the far end zone. I was sitting in the end zone furthest from it, and me and my buddy, uh, we were surrounded by guys in orange, and and the you know the crowd was starting to get a little rowdy. And I remember I grabbed him. I was like, man, we got to get out of here. This is, this is about to get bad. And uh, we went we went ahead and got back uh, to the car. I was like, this isn't going to go our way. We we are outnumbered in our section, and uh, not a whole lot of garnet and black. So we we made a business decision and got got out of there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. So, real quick before I let you go, um, you know, you've talked a lot about what Coach Holtz brought and and culture. And when we talk about Coach Beamer and what a lot of folks feel like he can bring to Carolina and his culture would be more with Coach Spurrier, but it's still that same culture of self accountability, toughness. You know, being reliable, having that that dedication and it really sounds like from the guys who have played at carolina they feel like coach beamer has what it takes to bring back a culture of success at, at columbia at carolina so tell me what you know about that have you what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah I, I definitely think i mean he come i mean beyond his own personal stuff his dad you know what i'm saying he grew up um you know i always say it's a good thing because it's easy to you know say my if I'm a football coach, my son's always going to play quarterback. And you can kind of, you know, always make sure your son is maybe the third-string quarterback. And, you know, he can I can get him in the – if I'm a college coach, I can get him on the team and he can be the holder. And, you know, but for Shane, he was the the long snapper. He had to – you know, his dad made him get it the hard way. His dad made him be on the special teams when they went to the national championship. And he made them um, – I mean, like, the guys who were on that team, there's guys by the name of, like, Corey Moore who ended up being, like, mm-hmm. first-round picks – just, I mean, just animals, and I mean that in the nicest way, the best way possible. You know, at no pejorative at all. I mean, I, those guys were about as true football dudes as you could ever be. And so Shane to make it in that locker room, he didn't get a pass because his dad was the coach. He kind of had to get it the dirty, grimy way. And then you think about on top of that, the the special teams and how famous Beamer ball. That, that's what you think of: defense, field position, special teams, and you and you add on some some offense with that. So. You know, all of that I think brings a nice eclectic mix of experience for Shane. Uh, him being around with a bunch of different programs and a bunch of different lights. I mean, if you can make it in Starksville, Mississippi, and then go off to Oklahoma, who doesn't really have a big, you know, home base of recruits to pull from? You got to battle with Texas and a whole bunch of other places, and but then you have the backdrop of, um, you know, they got they got uh, tradition that you got to uphold, and they're not going to let you slip a little bit. So I think all in all. All that experience works well for us in South Carolina because that's the other big thing and the biggest thing I think we've always been missing is somebody who wants to be at Carolina and want to really yes. matters. And you know, Preston talked about it in some some interviews about you know a lot of times people just see our program as a stepping stone so until something better. Um, you know, whether it be retirement, whether it be you know getting back to a bigger, better job, trying to get a better, bigger pay raise, whatever. And there's a lot of folks who say you know, in interviews, and you know how this goes, you know, the real deal is when the rubber meets the road, you know, no different than, you know, you say you want to, you be the, be the team lead for this, you know, hall for the second grade teachers, but we'll see when it's February, and Mm -hmm. you know, you got a long time to that spring break, and you got to deal with all the parents, and oh, by the way, the computer's not working, so, you know, it's one thing to try to get that salary, but all of that stuff wears off, and a lot of times, you know, we always say that, it's really, really tough to, you know, wonder. so the biggest thing is Shane wants to be there. And so him having the experience somebody he can lean on with his father. And that's also the biggest thing I think for anybody in any position is who, who are you leaning on? We see that with Dabo Sweeney, uh, with coach McCorvey there. I mean, obviously all those different things, they have a personal relationship, but also they lean on, you look at uh, Bill Belichick and how he not only just finds certain folks, but you know, his kind of mystery guy who's always up in the, uh, up in the booth always you know i forget the guy's name but he's a, just a brainiac dude who used to work mm-hmm. for like
0: national Security or something. Yeah.
1: yeah and so the whole deal is i think he already kind of has that brain trust there he doesn't come in saying i got it all figured out now and i think there's been people in the past that have been kind of like that brad might have into that and that might have just been first time arrogance as a head coach you know yeah. i came from charlie charlie ward in florida state and there was nothing better than florida state football and Of course I can show these guys in South Carolina something. so again we didn't get the benefit of that we got the arrogance of not knowing and at the time I think it was the right choice but obviously it's worked out a lot better second time around him doing it up there up the road and giving all that experience for whatever so I think that's one of the biggest things he understands the importance of wanting to be there obviously the facilities and all those things are there now he's just trying to put his footprint his imprint imprint on what he wants the program to be and wants it to look like day in and day out he's doing a great job of hiring a lot of guys in there. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, where the game is now, it's about results. And so the beautiful thing about South Carolina is that, you know, as Jay says, Jay Phillips always says, man, it's it's not going to take a national championship, but if we can be consistent and put ourselves in a position every three, five to six years to maybe make a run to Atlanta and then from there you build up the recruiting base. from there and then from there you try to get some consistent years back to back so you know a lot of the stuff that said they they said couldn't be done has already happened at Carolina um so I think Shane is kind of the perfect person to come in there and inject a lot of that caring and a lot of the stuff that you just can't really put your thumb on but we all know it and see it when the when the champion takes the stage at the end of the year.
0: Man, I think you said that perfectly. All right. One last question before I let you get away from me. Uh, It's kind of like a calling card question for the show. So we call our show the Slightly Above Average Football Fan. So, man, you know, you've been down on the sidelines before hearing fans. And, you know, you've been on call-in shows and all of this. So... What's something you have heard a fan say, either on a call-in show, in the stands, they're yelling something, and, and you're just going, man, that is not the thing. Like, it is not going to get better if we put in a quarterback who doesn't know the plays. You know, it's not going to be better if we go for it on 4th and 12 just because we're down 10. So what is something you hear maybe an average football fan that you're like, hey, man, stop saying that. That shows you don't really know the game.
1: Um, i am still one of the favorites from the, from the, from the Steve Spurrier era, because I, I spent a lot of nights with, with, uh, with those folks after doing post game. And, uh, we don't, we need to use the tight end more. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. famous one. We got, we need that tight end to come in there. And, and again, at the time we were, you know, we were very vertical, did a whole bunch of stuff down the field. Uh, but to our credit, man, we've had, we've had a lot of tight end talent come through South Mm -hmm. Carolina, especially in the last seven to 10 years. I mean, I mean, even, I mean, from Justice Cunningham to, 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 to rail to, I mean, Wesley Saunders. I mean, I mean, there's so many dudes. Then you think about cook and, yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of dudes that, that came through there, so maybe that was, you know, why the, why the fans, and maybe they got the memo a lot sooner that, you know, the in-vogue thing is to have kind of this Travis-Kelsey hybrid type of deal. Not to say all of our guys were like that, but they, we had a mixture of big guys who could run, who can tumble, who could, I mean, so... Uh, but a lot of times, man, the answer is not always going to be throw it down to the, down the field to the tight end. And I always say, man, this is the biggest thing that Coach O's always said, and it's it's very true, man. Players play, coaches coach, administrators administrate, man. And the same thing for the fans, man. Sometimes fans just got to be fans, but fan also stands for a fanatic, and you know it wouldn't. As we've known this year, without fans in the stands and all the the, the buy-in, it, it makes it a little makes it a little bit different. But um, you know that's why we love it so much, and that's why you know this game is 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 great.
0: It's phenomenal. Absolutely all right before I let you go man talk uh, talk about what you impress and do where can folks follow y'all with the just the chicken books and all the other stuff you guys have going on give us a little info on how we can see what you guys do.
1: Absolutely man we appreciate it yeah we uh, we published our, our first book our first baby just the chicken in 2015 and then we uh released the second one the follow up just the chicken little uh that was in 2019 and we'll be completing that little series here this spring uh, at the spring game. With the third book used to was a rooster and mm-hmm. so uh it's going to be a cool little little uh, book for us and all of our stuff can be found on our, our website athletes uh, and and uh and also we try to just make everything super super easy to find we use hashtags for everything so hashtag just a chicken hashtag just a chicken little recreated the the fight podcast which is a seven-part series with the with the famous josh kendall who works for the athletic phenomenal series we got everything from rappers from pastor troy to everybody talking about that game and everything and all the the events around it pre post and and still to this day and then uh our kind of third little uh podcast iteration thing what we're doing is called the butt and gut series which is where we interview a bunch of linemen nfl guys carolina guys that doesn't just have to be linemen we've interviewed big uh, announcers and just how much football food and and fun and how all that kind of comes together and pretty much how, you know, food is, is, can be a funny thing, man. You know, when you're, when you're growing up in 150 pounds in the third grade, people look at you like, man, you're morbidly obese. But if you tell them you're playing football, oh, well, you're right on track, man, to be whoever. So, you know, dealing with all that growing up yeah. in the South and trying not to be big after we stop playing football has all been, you know, a fun little tale for us to put together. And, um, we've been releasing those every week. We got about 10 of those out and, uh, we're going to keep on rolling those and, uh, having those stories man we love to just tell stories man storytellers run the world
0: all right man i really appreciate you. you guys do awesome stuff i can talk about that personally i've seen all of it i listen to it i've seen you guys come talk to kids and the great jobs you do there so man thanks for what you're doing fans if you're listening and you're thinking about getting involved in any of that let me encourage you to go ahead and do that because it's going to be well worth your time langston thanks for being here
1: man appreciate it andrew thank you man
0: yay All right, if you liked what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll see you again next time.